Hey there, today I'm going to read chapter 20, which is written from Peter's point of view. Peter rubbed the chisel handle with oiled steel wool, trying to resist the urge to throw it across the barn. The morning had been good. He'd crutched over field and woods, through mud and gravel, up hills and down rock faces, over stone walls and under fences. Strong, tireless, and nearly as fast as if he'd had both boots on the ground. At noon, he'd told Vola he felt ready to go now, and he was. But she had ignored him as usual. She'd ordered him into the barn to rest and take his crutches ho- took his crutches hostage. Foot up, polish some tools, get the feel of them. His gaze fell on the near-finished carving in front of him on the workbench. The fox was rough, but it looked alive, and it seemed to him a sign that he would find Pax unharmed. Although it felt dangerous to hope, he allowed himself to imagine the scene. He would call for Pax at the spot where he'd left him, and Pax would come bursting out of the woods and probably knock him down in his happiness. They would go home together. You're going to polish that handle right off, boy. Peter jumped. I didn't hear you come in. You can't go drifting off when you're working with tools. Bola settled herself on a barrel beside him and picked up a rasp and an oily cloth. I was thinking about Pax. He put down the gleaming chisel and picked up his carving. He handed it over when Vola held out a palm. Looks like he wants to jump out of my hand. You're worried about him? Peter nodded, but half the time I think he could be all right. Foxes are smart, really smart. We'd had to lock the door to the kitchen because Pax could open every cupboard. Once he'd chewed through the wire to a fan we'd just put in my room. My father was really mad. But then when he was trying to fix it, he found out the fan had a short in the housing. It would have caught fire. I think Pax knew that somehow that he was protecting me. So why wouldn't he be smart enough to learn to hunt? Don't you think he could survive? I do, Bola agreed. Peter took the carving back and looked into the fox's face. There's something else, he said. It's that I would know if he had died. And then he told Bola, he had never t- what he had told n- never told anyone else about the merging he felt sometimes with Pax. How sometimes he didn't just know what his fox was feeling, but actually felt it himself. He held his breath, hearing how crazy it sounded. Instead of laughing, Vola told him he was lucky. You've experienced two, but not two. Oh, that's on your board. Two, but not two. I didn't know what it meant. It means non-duality. It's about oneness, about how things that seem to be separate are really connected to one another. There are no separations. Bola picked up his fox again. This is not just a piece of wood. This is also the clouds that brought the rain that watered the tree and the birds that nested in it and the squirrels that fed on its nuts. It's also the food my grandparents fed me that made me strong enough to cut the tree and it's the steel and the axe I used. And it's how you know your fox, which allowed you to carve him yesterday. And it's the story you will tell your children when you give this to them. <clears throat> All these things are separate, but also one, inseparable. Do you see? Two, but not two, inseparable. So a couple of nights ago, I was sure that Pax had eaten. I felt it. Last night, I saw the moon, and I knew Pax was seeing it right then, too. You think that if I feel Pax living, then he's alive? 
Yes. Peter's hope swelled at her words. Bola never said anything she didn't mean. Well, we tell the truth here. That's the rule. She told him that about a hundred times. It was a valuable thing, he suddenly realized, to have someone you could count on for honesty. How many times in his life had he wanted only that? How many questions had he needed an honest answer for and gotten instead from his father? Dark silence. And then, before he could chicken out, he asked the one question that haunted him. Do you think, do you think if someone had a wild part, it could ever be tamed out? If it's in his nature, inherited? Bola looked at him hard. Peter knew she thought he was asking about Pax, and he didn't correct her. He picked up the chisel again and looked down at it on its slab. His fingers squeezed white around the shank as he waited for the answers. You've already been like this? Have you always been like this? Asking other people to figure out your stuff for you? Eh, that doesn't work. Peter let out his breath. As soon as he'd asked the question, he'd realized he didn't want to hear the answer. Maybe he would never be ready to hear the answer to that question. Bola patted her overall pocket and frowned. Almost forgot. She pulled out a napkin-wrapped muffin and handed it to Peter. He'd eaten four of them at breakfast, but she was always convinced that he wasn't eating enough. He unwrapped it. It was a little squashed, but as with the rest of them, the pecan was centered perfectly on the brown sugar topping. She had stayed up late last night baking them, and he had heard her singing something in a language he didn't recognize. Something happy. Vola, why are you still living out here alone? I told you, but 20 years to figure out who you are, I mean, how hard can it be? Plenty hard. The plain truth can be the hardest thing to see when it's about yourself. If you don't want to know the truth, you'll do anything to disguise it. Peter put the muffin down. She was avoiding his question. But you do. You know yourself. So how come you don't go live somewhere with people? Tell me the truth. That's the rule around here, right? She looked out the barn window for a minute. Her shoulders slumped. And when she turned to him, she looked tired. Fair enough. No bad, Peter. Maybe it's because I do know myself. Maybe what I know is that I don't belong with people. Maybe I'm a grenade. What do you mean a grenade? What would you call someone who can go from a girl eating peaches and watching fireflies to a woman who kills a man? Eh? That girl would have cut off her arm before she'd have hurt a single one of those fireflies. But a few years later, she killed a perfect stranger. I'd call that person a weapon. I'm unpredictable. A deadly weapon. It's best I stay hidden here where no one will ever hurt me or be hurt by me, even by accident. She raised her fingers and popped them at him. Boom. But this time the gesture looked sad, not menacing. You don't hurt me, Peter answered. How do you know I won't? Because I know. He thumped his chest. It's in my core. Bola slapped her palms on the workbench and pushed herself off. Put those tools back in the right order, she muttered over her shoulder as she left. From the p window, Peter watched her stamp down the path. It seemed she was moving differently, as if that heart-pine leg of hers had grown even heavier. One by one, Peter slid the cleaned tools into their pockets and then rolled the canvas. 
He felt his old anxiety coiling at the base of his skull. Over a week, he'd been stuck here. He would have left already if it hadn't been for the third condition. He'd promised, and he owed it to Vola. But when he'd asked her at breakfast about building the stage, she'd only shrugged. I'll get to it. And then the solution hit him, so ridiculously simple that he laughed out loud. Without his crutches, he was awkward and slow again, but he managed to hop outside to where Vola kept a brush pile. There he chose 12 long, straight saplings, each the thickness of his arm. One by one, he flung them to the barn doorway, then followed and slid them inside. On the sawhorses, he stripped them of their branches and set to work. And two hours later, he had a stage. It wasn't much to look at, the corners raggedly notched and lashed with twine, mismatched scrap boards nailed into the frame for the walls and floor. But when he strung a length of burlap over the top, he smiled. Piece of cake, he said to Francois, who wandered in and stopped to sniff the frame in obvious admiration. Piece of cake. I made the stage. It's in the barn. Vola looked up from the chicken she was plucking. She eyed the branch. Peter was leaning on and then mentioned motion to his crutches, propped against the kitchen counter. Peter reached for them, slid them under his arms, and felt the immediate comfort they brought. I can do that puppet show for you now. Come to the barn. I have work to do now, but all right, tonight. And then I can leave, Vola. I'm ready. Vola laid the chicken on the table and sighed. You are not ready. You sleep indoors, dry and warm. You have clean water, and someone cooks your food for you. But all right, tomorrow I will test you. Ten miles. You hike five miles. Show me you can make a camp on one leg and hike five miles back. Then we'll talk. Peter watched her gather up the chicken feathers and tuck them into a pouch, and it struck him. Nothing would change after he left. Vola would save her feathers, would make her puppets all alone in the woods, more and more and more of them and tell that soldier's story to no one. Hey there, today I'm going to read chapter 20, which is written from Peter's point of view. Peter rubbed the chisel handle with oiled steel wool, trying to resist the urge to throw it across the barn. The morning had been good. He'd crutched over field and woods, through mud and gravel, up hills and down rock faces, over stone walls and under fences. Strong, tireless, and nearly as fast as if he'd had both boots on the ground. At noon, he'd told Vola he felt ready to go now, and he was. But she had ignored him as usual. She'd ordered him into the barn to rest and take his crutches ho- took his crutches hostage. Foot up, polish some tools, get the feel of them. His gaze fell on the near-finished carving in front of him on the workbench. The fox was rough, but it looked alive, and it seemed to him a sign that he would find Pax unharmed. Although it felt dangerous to hope, he allowed himself to imagine the scene. He would call for Pax at the spot where he'd left him, and Pax would come bursting out of the woods and probably knock him down in his happiness. They would go home together. You're going to polish that handle right off, boy. Peter jumped. I didn't hear you come in. You can't go drifting off when you're working with tools. Bola settled herself on a barrel beside him and picked up a rasp and an oily cloth. I was thinking about Pax. He put down the gleaming chisel and picked up his carving. He handed it over when Vola held out a palm. Looks like he wants to jump out of my hand. 
You're worried about him? Peter nodded, but half the time I think he could be all right. Foxes are smart, really smart. We'd had to lock the door to the kitchen because Pax could open every cupboard. Once he'd chewed through the wire to a fan we'd put just put in my room. My father was really mad. But then when he was trying to fix it, he found out the fan had a short in the housing. It would have caught fire. I think Pax knew that somehow that he was protecting me. So why wouldn't he be smart enough to learn to hunt? Don't you think he could survive? I do, Bola agreed. Peter took the carving back and looked into the fox's face. There's something else, he said. It's that I would know if he had died. And then he told Vola he had never to- what he had told n- never told anyone else about the merging he felt sometimes with Pax. How sometimes he didn't just know what his fox was feeling, but actually felt it himself. He held his breath, hearing how crazy it sounded. Instead of laughing, Vola told him he was lucky. You've experienced two, but not two. Oh, that's on your board, two, but not two. I didn't know what it meant. It means non-duality. It's about oneness, about how things that seem to be separate are really connected to one another. There are no separations. Bola picked up his fox again. This is not just a piece of wood. This is also the clouds that brought the rain that watered the tree and the birds that nested in it and the squirrels that fed on its nuts. It's also the food my grandparents fed me that made me strong enough to cut the tree and it's the steel and the axe I used. And it's how you know your fox, which allowed you to carve him yesterday. And it's the story you will tell your children when you give this to them. All these things are separate, but also one, inseparable. Do you see? Two, but not two, inseparable. So a couple of nights ago, I was sure that Pax had eaten. I felt it. Last night, I saw the moon, and I knew Pax was seeing it right then, too. Do you think that if I feel Pax living, then he's alive? Yes. Peter's hope swelled at her words. Bola never said anything she didn't mean. Well, we tell the truth here. That's the rule. She told him that about a hundred times. It was a valuable thing, he suddenly realized, to have someone you could count on for honesty. How many times in his life had he wanted only that? How many questions had he needed an honest answer for and gotten instead from his father? Dark silence. And then before he could chicken out, he asked the one question that haunted him. Do you think, do you think if someone had a wild part, it could ever be tamed out? If it's in his nature, inherited? Bola looked at him hard. Peter knew she thought he was asking about Pax, and he didn't correct her. He picked up the chisel again and looked down at it on its slap. His fingers squeezed white around the shank as he waited for the answers. You've already been like this? Have you always been like this? Asking other people to figure out your stuff for you? A, that doesn't work. Peter let out his breath. As soon as he'd asked the question, he'd realized he didn't want to hear the answer. Maybe he would never be ready to hear the answer to that question. Bola patted her overall pocket and frowned. Almost forgot. She pulled out a napkin-wrapped muffin and handed it to Peter. He'd eaten four of them at breakfast, 
but she was always convinced that he wasn't eating enough. He unwrapped it. It was a little squashed, but as with the rest of them, the pecan was centered perfectly on the brown sugar topping. She had stayed up late last night baking them, and he had heard her singing something in a language he didn't recognize. Something happy. Vola, why are you still living out here alone? I told you. But 20 years to figure out who you are? I mean, how hard can it be? Plenty hard. The plain truth can be the hardest thing to see when it's about yourself. If you don't want to know the truth, you'll do anything to disguise it. Peter put the muffin down. She was avoiding his question. But you do. You know yourself. So how come you don't go live somewhere with people? Tell me the truth. That's the rule around here, right? She looked out the barn window for a minute. Her shoulders slumped. And when she turned to him, she looked tired. Fair enough. No bad, Peter. Maybe it's because I do know myself. Maybe what I know is that I don't belong with people. Maybe I'm a grenade. What do you mean a grenade? What would you call someone who can go from a girl eating peaches and watching fireflies to a woman who kills a man? Eh? That girl would have cut off her arm before she'd have hurt a single one of those fireflies. But a few years later, she killed a perfect stranger. I'd call that person a weapon. I'm unpredictable. A deadly weapon. It's best I stay hidden here where no one will ever hurt me or be hurt by me, even by accident. She raised her fingers and popped them at him. Boom. But this time, the gesture looked sad, not menacing. You don't hurt me, Peter answered. How do you know I won't? Because I know. He thumped his chest. It's in my core. Vola slapped her palms on the workbench and pushed herself off. Put those tools back in the right order, she muttered over her shoulder as she left. From the window, Peter watched her stamp down the path. It seemed she was moving differently, as if that heart-pine leg of hers had grown even heavier. One by one, Peter slid the cleaned tools into their pockets and then rolled the canvas. He felt his old anxiety coiling at the base of his skull. Over a week, he'd been stuck here. He would have left already if it hadn't been for the third condition. He'd promised, and he owed it to Vola. But when he'd asked her at breakfast about building the stage, she'd only shrugged. I'll get to it. And then the solution hit him, so ridiculously simple that he laughed out loud. Without his crutches, he was awkward and slow again, but he managed to hop outside to where Vola kept a brush pile. There he chose 12 long, straight saplings, each the thickness of his arm. One by one, he flung them to the barn doorway, then followed and slid them inside. On the saw horses, he stripped them of their branches and set to work. And two hours later, he had a stage. It wasn't much to look at, the corners raggedly notched and lashed with twine, mismatched scrap boards nailed into the frame for the walls and floor. But when he strung a length of burlap over the top, he smiled. Piece of cake, he said to Francois, who wandered in and stopped to sniff the frame in obvious admiration. Piece of cake. I made the stage. It's in the barn. Vola looked up from the chicken she was plucking. She eyed the branch. Peter was leaning on and then mentioned motion to his crutches, propped against the kitchen counter. Peter reached for them, slid them under his arms, and felt the immediate comfort they brought. 
I can do that puppet show for you now. Come to the barn. I have work to do now, but all right, tonight. And then I can leave, Vola. I'm ready. Vola laid the chicken on the table and sighed. You are not ready. You sleep indoors, dry and warm. You have clean water, and someone cooks your food for you. But all right, tomorrow I will test you. Ten miles. You hike five miles. Show me you can make a camp on one leg and hike five miles back. Then we'll talk. Peter watched her gather up the chicken feathers and tuck them into a pouch, and it struck him. Nothing would change after he left. Vola would save her feathers, would make her puppets all alone in the woods, more and more and more of them, and tell that soldier's story to no one.